Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Premier League is back, the fans are back, and so is our weekend review podcast. Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea and Spurs are off to a flyer, but it was a false start for the champions and turmoil for Arsenal already. I'm Dan Burke, and with me to talk about the weekend's action is Matt Froelich. Hey. And Podrick Whelan. Hi, Dan. Uh, Good summer for you, Matt? Uh, Yes, very busy, obviously, with the European Championships. Very exciting, ended in heartbreak, but apart from that, it was good. Yeah. Uh, Podrick, you were off watching Scotland at the Euros over the summer, of course, but uh, are you glad to have the the rough and tumble of domestic football back in our lives? No, no, bring me me back to the Euros, Dan, and glorious... Nil-nil draws at Wembley. That was uh, give me over the Premier League any day. You're not enjoying the uh, the age of Angie at Celtic. Well, that that I am enjoying. To be fair, <laughs> that that is after about two weeks. (laughs) Right, let's get into it then. Uh, This podcast is, of course, the home of knee-jerk reactions, so we're going to jump straight to conclusions after one match of the Premier League season, beginning with Tottenham's 1-0 victory over Champions Manchester City on Sunday. Matt, you're a Spurs fan, as regular listeners will know. Uh, You must have been delighted with this win to kick off the Nuno Espirito Santo era. Uh, What impressed you most about Tottenham's performance, would you say? Um, I think that they looked sort of a... A solid rejuvenated team, considering that there was no none of the new transfers in there. Um, you know, this is a team that was so poor defensively last season under Mourinho and would have let Leeds slip out of absolutely nowhere. So yeah, I was really impressed that, especially against the attacking talent that City have got, you know, maybe being a bit blunt through the middle. Um, really, really solid, especially the likes of Tanganga. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, of course, on the counter attack, it was very Nuno esque. The sort of three players, brilliant speed, real sort of counter attacking football. Are we jumping to conclusions? Yes. <laughs> was it fantastic? Yes. I'm not going to go too far ahead and think uh, and say what I think Tottenham will do this season. But uh, yeah, it was a brilliant start. I was going to ask you about Tanganga. Actually, I mean, is he uh, going to be a new homegrown hero? Do you think? Uh, really odd because he he's a centre back from the youth team. But um, his sort of, I don't know, I guess his athleticism and his speed especially moved him out to the right-back position. And now I'm kind of thinking, oh, maybe that would suit him better, actually. So I don't quite know his best role just yet. Um, but certainly he's got all the makings of a, of a yeah, a, yet another good Tottenham Academy product. Yeah, he had, well, he had Sterling and Grealish well shackled down that, down that uh, <laughs> left flank, didn't he? So, uh, yeah, I think he made his debut at right-back, didn't he? And he, he definitely has the athleticism to get up and down that flank as well. So. Yeah, he, he made his debut against Liverpool at right-back and had a pretty good game against Sadio Mane. So he, he's obviously one for the big occasion. But, yeah, if he can keep playing, it's absolutely fantastic. Indeed, yeah. Uh, well, that's now 69 shots for City in four matches at Tottenham's new stadium without scoring a single goal. Uh, Pep Guardiola has largely put this result down to his side, being a bit undercooked going into the new season. But, I mean, I was still pretty disappointed as a City fan with how they played. Do you think I have, have reasons to be worried, Podrick, or is everything going to work out OK? Yeah, I don't think you should be worrying too much. Are you worried already after that? I mean, I don't, I don't think you should be, probably, but... Yeah, I mean, obviously they made a slow start to last season as well and yeah. it worked out all right in the end, didn't it? I feel like they're not going to be able to get away with it this this uh, this season. I think, you know, uh, United, Chelsea, Liverpool, all going to be very strong contenders for the title this season and, and I worry about how long City are going to take to get into the stride um, they, they started this game brilliantly well 15, first 15 minutes were great um, but yeah after that I, I wasn't very impressed with them were you? Uh, yeah not so much he's a bit similar to you where I thought they started really well 
and then it kind of you could almost see it coming then, couldn't you? After mm. they had the early pressure, and you think this has got a this has got one two 0 Spurs <laughs> yeah. written all over it, kind of thing. But I guess for whatever reason, like you mentioned, it with the they've not even scored a goal there. What like they just do seem to struggle um, in this fixture for what God knows why. But like, but even under different coaches and stuff like that, they've not had a good time at Spurs in the stadium. So I guess for that you can also maybe just chalk that down to getting that bad one out of the way nice and early. It's going yeah. to happen to them every season by the looks of things and then move on quickly. Yeah, it's actually the first time we've lost the first game of a season since 08, 09. Um, I mean, I, I was saying to Matt off air before, I, I had sort of bad vibes about it going into the game actually, especially after the Community Shield. I, I knew that City were a little bit undercooked as, as Pep Guardiola said and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, watching City trying to chase a game, especially against one of the top teams can be a very painful experience. The way they were just lumping balls into the box at one point yeah. was, was very, very frustrating to me. So hope, hope for a, a bit better against Norwich last season and then we'll see where they are, see, see how they uh, develop as the, the weeks go on. Uh, Matt, what are you expecting from Spurs this season? Uh, ha- has it changed at all since yesterday? And, and how much of it depends on, on keeping hold of Harry Kane, do you think? Yeah, weirdly enough, I feel like I don't want to set my expectations until the Kane saga is over. Because mm. I, I do think it varies. And I know there's been periods, certainly in the past, where Kane's been injured and Spurs go on a bit of a run and, you know, oh, better without Kane and Son's the main man, this, that, and the other. But a team can't possibly be better off without someone like Harry Kane. That yeah. just that just defies any sort of logic. So holding on to him, and I think there's a good top four charge in there for Spurs. Um, the problem with losing him is, I think, at this stage in the window, you're not going to replace him with anyone good, and you're also going to overpay for anyone you try to bring in. So without him, who knows, maybe a top six finish. Again, it was obviously a fantastic performance and a result. Um, but I think the names that you mentioned alongside City, especially uh, United, Chelsea, Liverpool, uh, anything other than top four for them or even a title challenge for those four is a big disappointment. And I don't think Spurs are as good as those four. So, yeah, Europa League, I think. Yeah, what, what's your gut feeling on the Kane situation now? Do you think he's going to stay or go? My gut feeling and always has been is that nobody's paying crazy money for him. Um, so I think he'll stay. Mm. If City offer 130 million or thereabouts, do you reckon that would be enough to tempt Spurs to sell? Or I, I don't know. I feel like I still think there's going to be a swap deal involved. I don't think any City player particularly wants to downgrade to Spurs. But I think it's in Tottenham's interest to get a replacement sorted sooner rather than later. So if you can kill two birds with one stone... By, by sending Kane and getting a replacement from City in the same deal. Um, I think that kind of helps. I can't really think of any standout player who'd want to, who'd want to swap. Mm, I mean, Gabriel Jesus isn't a replacement for Harry Kane, is he really? And that's about the only one. Yeah, but he's still, he's still another striker. Mm. That's the thing. Tottenham will have another striker if it's not Kane. Yeah. Podrick, what's your gut instinct on City's chances of retaining the title this season? Do you think they can do it without Harry Kane? Uh, yeah, I think, I think they definitely can do it without Kane, I mean, not like obviously they won it last season and they've added Grealish to that squad. Mm. Not really lost anyone apart from maybe Aguero, but then he was kind of didn't play so much last season anyway. Um, but if it's not Kane, I, I do think you probably would be a lot more worried if they don't sign a striker because you just think that team is just crying out for for a centre forward. And I'd love it to be Gabriel Jesus, but it just seems 
I don't know that it's never going to happen, or certainly not be the main man um, at Man City, or he's never really going to step into to Aguero's shoes, which is obviously massive shoes to fill, but someone like Kane obviously would uh, you'd back him to do that, but I think if it seems to be like, all their eggs are pretty much in that basket, isn't it? I did see a was he linked with Patrick Bamford as well, which just seems like if you can't get Kane, I don't think I would be going out to, to chase Bamford to be <laughs> the man to fire into the league. But yeah, I think if not Kane, then I don't know, even I suppose Inter are looking for money, maybe Lotaro. Um, you could maybe do something there, but definitely a striker or else I would be starting to get a little mm. more concerned. Yeah, I do like Patrick Bamford, but it'd be a bit like ordering Harry Kane from Wish, wouldn't it, that, and getting him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Gabriel Jesus, I mean, when he came on yesterday even, he came on replaced Sterling and then played down the left side and it's like, mm-hmm. Guardiola just has no faith in him as a number nine anymore, it seems, which is a bit odd because that was, uh, you know, when he came, he was supposed to be the new ronaldo o phenomeno, and it's just not really worked out. But we'll see what happens in the next few weeks of the window, I guess. Uh, Manchester United got their season off to a flyer when they thrashed Lee. 5-1 in Saturday's early kickoff. Uh, just the four assists for Paul Pogba in this game. Not too bad. Uh, does he look to you, Matt, like he's about to have a potentially career-defining season? Are we going to see the best of Pogba at club level since his Juventus days this year? Ooh, I think that's probably been said after a Paul Pogba good performance far too many times, and he sort of he's always let them down. I think I think it will be a better season for Pogba because it will be a better season for United. I think the more settled they are with their team and now adding Sancho and Varane is so good for them. Um, and just generally being a more settled side and getting a better run in the team, I think Pogba will definitely, definitely be better because of it. And if you think that, you know, nine out of ten times he's going to be lining up in that midfield with someone to protect the back four, with licence to go and get involved with Bruno, I can see him having a fantastic season. But it shouldn't be unexpected because he's got that quality. So I'm not, necess- I'm not necessarily sure he's taking a step up. He's just taking a step back to where we know he definitely can be. Mm, yeah. I mean, he, he was... He was- some of the passes he was pulling off with this- in this game were oh, just yeah. divine, weren't they? Uh- when he's in the mood... Unbelievable. It's unstoppable, isn't he, almost? Uh, Bruno Fernandes is another one. He had a, a wonderful game, netting his first hat-trick in a United shirt and taking his number of goal involvements in the Premier League to 48 since he arrived in January 2020, which is more than any other player in that time. Are we looking at a strong contender for the player of the year here, Podrick, would you say? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the guy's just, just adds to the amazing stats like every single week that goes by and not even a penalty this week uh, <laughs> when he yeah. gets a hat-trick, which I'm sure would have annoyed a lot of people because that <laughs> does seem to be a stick that, that he gets beaten with but I mean you saw it at the weekend the, the kind of player that he is just with like his all round play like some of the running in behind just leads didn't know where to go to pick him up at all and then even when he was dropping off nobody kind of knew who was supposed to go with him who was supposed to stay and yeah he's just such a such a clever player I think and it's been really brilliant business I'd, player of the year I always think it's funny because it it does kind of tend to go to, to a team who wins the league, doesn't it? Like mm. Diaz last season and stuff. So, and if Man United don't win the league, um, I'm not sure I could see him getting it because it does, does always seem to go that way. But he's definitely. He's that good that he'll he'll be up there again for sure. Yeah, yeah I think Robin Cox still out on the pitch at Old Trafford looking for Bruno Fernandes, isn't it? He? He <laughs> yeah, had a top torrid time against him. Yeah. Uh, also, a lovely goal from Mason Greenwood to restore United's lead just after Luke Ayling had equalised for Leeds with a lovely strike. Uh, would you say Greenwood's still a little underhyped, Matt? 
Um, I mean, he obviously missed out the, uh, from the Euro squad this summer. He sort of almost doesn't get talked about as as a sort of future talent for England in the same way that maybe, you know, Jaden Sancho or Phil Foden or Mason Mount do. Yeah, I think that actually might suit him, you know. Mm. I think maybe just a bit a bit less of the hyping uh, could actually work in his favour. I, I still don't know, for me, what his best position is, though. Mm. And I feel like it's something he definitely needs to nail down because you don't want to become one of these who sort of sacrifices his own his own career and the selfishness of his career by, you know, filling in in any position sort of out wide or in a different tactic um, rather than being like, no, look, I'm a, I'm a number nine. I play through the middle. I score the goals. I'm that good. Because I don't, I don't really see how that's going to benefit him from constantly playing out wide. And now that Sancho is going to be in the team as well, you know, does he even start? Does he start ahead of Cavani through the middle? I, I would love to see him. I, I I still think he's definitely, definitely a more, more skillful Michael Owen sort of player, mm. like incredible speed and finishing on both feet um, rather than a, a, a tricky winger. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Colin Gulashosa was talking after the game about uh, the way he wants to kind of replicate that uh, sort of two thousand and seven United team of Tevez, Rooney, and Ronaldo, um, which mm. is you know very ambitious. But uh, you know, when you've got players like Greenwood who can who can play in a number of different positions, it definitely helps with a kind of fluid forward line like that. So uh, that's going to be one to keep an eye on. Uh, Fred scored the other goal for United. Um, Podrick, do you think United can challenge for the title with the players they've got, or do they need another defensive midfielder? Because a lot of fans have been clamouring for that this this season. They've still got uh, the. Matic, of course, who isn't really that old, but um, do you think they need someone in the, in the middle of the park to really sort of stamp their authority on the team? No, I, I don't think so, to be honest. I think like this, the squad at the minute is good enough. And like you say, you've got Matic, you kind of forget about. I think like McTominay doesn't seem to maybe get the plaudits that he deserves a lot of the time. And uh, you've even got Donny van de Beek there, who's you can, it's quite easy to forget that. I guess maybe not so much a defensive midfielder in the mould of like a Matic just to kind of sit and enforce, but that's a guy who I mean, there's still you kind of expect a lot from from what we saw at Ajax and what you saw with the national team, and for whatever reason, it's not really clicking yet mm. under Man United and Solskjaer. Yeah, just doesn't seem to be a huge fan of him, but he's definitely an option that's there as well in that in that position. So. I wouldn't, and I think probably at this point with the, the summer they've had with Varane and Sancho and all the rest of it, that I don't think he'll be going to the board and getting any more money to spend anyway mm. until until January at the earliest. <laughs> you just don't want to see that Fred McTominay axis split up, do you? I certainly don't. I certainly don't. <laughs> uh, well, just like last season at Old Trafford, it was a disappointing capitulation from Leeds's point of view. Um, is that defensive organisation a worry, would you say, Matt? Or, or would Calvin Phillips have made the difference for them here? Um, I'm actually not going to jump to the conclusion on Leeds um, <laughs> in this game. I just think they came up against such a sensational attacking side, um, especially Pogba Fernandes for United. I wouldn't read too much into it. If they're leaking goals, you know, in a few weeks' time, um, and certainly against the lesser sides, then maybe. I just think they had... It was a combination of stunning play from United and really poor from Leeds. But I wouldn't say, as a whole, you know, they're really sort of panicking. Um, yeah, and it, with their defensive organisation, of course, having a better player in the midfield would help than Calvin Phillips. But even then, I don't know. What do you think he would have done? 
to sort of follow Bruno around. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Or tried yeah. to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I th- not sure you could stop it. I think United, one of their strengths is that they're quite good at sort of evading uh, sort of defensive midfielders, aren't they, and, and playing around them. So maybe it wouldn't have made mm. much difference. But it does feel like Calvin Phillips is Leeds' most important player by by quite some distance. W- yeah. What's your read on them for this season? Are you expecting sort of better than the the uh, mid table finish last season, or about the same again? Um. I'd say the same again. I just think to take that step up and challenge even the top seven in the Premier League is really, really difficult. And I don't think it should be seen as as a as a downgrade of a season if they don't finish, you know, where they did last season. Even if it's even if it's lower mid table, I still think they're finding their feet in the Premier League. Um and yeah, they're, they're, they're such a big challenge. It's yeah. such a big challenge to step up and match the wages and the transfers and the players that some of the other teams have got, as you've seen, like if United are title challengers and, you know, leads a mid table, that was evident on the pitch, mm. you know, quite clearly. And yeah. they are quite a way behind. I was chatting to a Leeds fan over the summer, actually, who said he could see them struggling, even being sort of in the relegation picture this season. I'd be very surprised if that happened, personally. Yeah, uh, that bad. Very surprised. Uh, Chelsea made a perfect start to the season when they comfortably beat Crystal Palace 3-0 on Saturday. Uh, with the Lukaku sign-in, Podri, do you think Chelsea have got everything they need to win the title? I mean, you backed them in our, our pre-season predictions that we did for the app. I think you were the only one who didn't say Man City, actually. Sorry, Dan. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, apologise. No, fair enough. But yeah, no, I just I just really, really like what Tuchel's done there and it's it's one of the greatest like turnarounds you could see from a team. Like you saw mm. the, the potential they had and what they could what they were capable of when when a coach, like a really elite level coach came in and they've been just a completely different animal. His record like in against all the top teams, against all the top coaches in the league is all really good, so you just, I just kind of think in those big games in particular, they'll, I think they'll really turn up this season, and then it's you know just about doing the the business and the the kind of bread and butter ones. And like you say, when you, I think they were already quite a dangerous team because I think he's just so good at improving what's already there, like as he obviously did last season. But when you now add in and they've given him the striker that that he was crying out for, it really could just make them a a, a different animal. And I just hope that he, they kind of use. Lukaku and the way that the Inter used him when he was there under Conte to kind of get the best out of him, which I think they will. I don't think they'll use him in a kind of a target man role or anything like that. You kind of saw in Serie A what he did when he was part of like a partnership, and I think if you've got guys as clever as like Havertz or even Timo Werner playing alongside him, I just think they're going to be so, so dangerous this season. Yeah, because Tuchel was saying last week that he he uh, feels like they've got a player to replace Olivier Giroud in terms of being able to play with his back to goal, bring other players into play. I'm not sure that's really Lukaku's game though, is it? So it no, will be interesting to see how he plays yeah, there. Exactly. That was, I just always seemed to get lumped with that as like the the big man up front kind mm. of thing. And he's, like some of the some of the performances in Italy just it couldn't be further from that. He's just his movement, his cleverness, finishing the link up. That he's he really does have it all now. He's definitely yeah. I don't know. I definitely don't know if Tuchel maybe just misspoke or if that's if that's how he actually sees him slotting in, but I would be surprised. Yeah, me too. Uh, the unexpected man of the moment for Chelsea is Trevor Chalobah, who scored a brilliant goal on his first Premier League start for the club. Uh, Chelsea have, of course, been linked with Sevilla's Jules Koundé this summer, but with uh, with Chalobah emerging, Matt, do you think they actually need to sign anyone else at this point? Um, 
It'd be a very big risk, I think, to say we don't need, you know, an experienced player like Kunde who's had a few good seasons and we're going to stick with a youngster who's had a bright start to his career. I think that would be a very big call. Having said that, he has looked very good. Um, you know, he's had quite a few loans away from Chelsea, I think three. Yeah. The last three seasons out on loan. Actually gained some experience, but... He's played, I, I think he's played 108 is. games, 108 senior games, but that was his first game for Chelsea. Yeah, exactly. I, I, think, I think that just having him might be a bit, I wouldn't say risky, um, but yeah, might not be like the complete answer. Whereas if you had Koundé and you still gave Chalabar games, you know, lesser games or games other cup competitions, it would still be beneficial for him. Like, like I always say with so many youngsters, you'd hate to see a big signing come in and it just completely ruin their game time. Mm. Um, but I, I think Chelsea could do with Koundé. I think he'd be a fantastic signing. Yeah. If- if, of course, they do get him. Indeed. Uh, well, it was a baptism of fire for Patrick Vieira at Crystal Palace, going to Stamford Bridge in his first game. Are you expecting him to be a successor or a failure at Selhurst Park, Padraig? Because I'm already seeing people talking about Frank De Boer, and I think that's a little bit premature, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a bit premature, but you, I guess you can kind of see why they're doing it. Like It is the, the easy comparison that's there, and if you look at everything he's done in his coaching career so far, it does seem does seem like quite a big risk on on Palace's part, and like clearly he wasn't the man that they wanted. They they went after uh, Favre, didn't they? They mm. went after a few others that never worked out. So I mean, it's obviously a lot further down on their list. And yeah, when you look at what he's did in France, it's it's definitely not Vieira the the player that they're no. getting. And there was a lot of lot of senior players left in the summer as well. And I think maybe they. They hoped a lot more would maybe return than, than have. But yes, you look at the squad and Eze's probably not going to be back until maybe after the new year, like that really bad injury he got um, towards the end of last season. So without a player like him as well, like he was so exciting and makes them tick, you do think it will just be a case of if the worst should happen and anything that goes wrong with Zaha, then than Vieira is in big trouble but yeah mm. like you you have seen people he does seem to, to already be apart from maybe Steve Bruce the kind of the favourite to be to be the first one sacked already <laughs> yeah. which is crazy well I mean they made some some pretty impressive signings quite uh, interesting progressive signings you might say with a few young players he, he's trying to play uh, play out from the back in a way that Roy Hodgson never did at Crystal Palace do you reckon that they have to give someone like that a bit of time and not panic if they're you know in, you know, in the lower reaches of the table come October November time yeah, they've, exactly. they've, got, could, they've got to let yeah. him see it through really yeah definitely or else I just don't see the point in, like he was you didn't appoint him to be like the steady hand kind of thing I guess because there's just nothing in his track record that would suggest that you've You've gone with this project, and like you say, they have. And obviously, spent some decent, money, like Gwehi from Chelsea, and these kind of ones that you suggest that were guys maybe they haven't had a chance, but look like they could be real good signings for them. So, mm. yeah, I think I think they will have to to stick it out better for us. And who knows, like he might, like really, for all that you can predict, that might not go so well, but he definitely could surprise people. Yeah, or they'll hire Sam Allardyce in December. Either way, it's uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, he's done Crystal Palace already, though, wasn't he? So, he has, yeah, 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 yeah so true. probably not go, not going to go back there. Actually, yeah. Uh, Liverpool also made an ideal start to their season with a three 0 win away at Norwich. Uh, Matt, are you surprised that not many people have tipped Liverpool for the title this season? And do you think that could possibly play into their hands a little bit? 
Um, yeah, probably. I guess they were just so far off it last season that it really, to have such a big comeback and win the title maybe is probably playing in people's minds. Having said that, they chased Man City down incredibly well a few years ago and then won it the following season and they're pretty much still the same team, um, minus Wijnaldum. So they could definitely do it. Um, whether or not they will, I guess we'll wait and see. I'm really, I think a lot of people are interested to see Van Dijk. Um, can he be the same mm. player after spending so so much time out? Um, but even if not, then yeah, the the, the signing of Canate looks like an amazing one. Yeah, he really, I've really really impressed. Yeah, I thought they looked good in this game, Liverpool. I mean, they always win at Norwich, don't they? Um, and mm. I, I didn't think Norwich were great, but they looked very assured to me. I mean, defensively they looked good with Van Dijk and and uh, Matic back there. Um, up front, they've the. They look like they're sort of cooking on gas again now. Salah looks like he's up for it. Uh, Firmino scored. Um, Jota looks very good. So I, I'm, I'm fancying Liverpool to be very, very strong this season. Whether they will win the league, I don't know. But I'm, I'm a bit surprised that no one's tipped them to, to win the league because I think they are going to be right up there right until the very end. Uh, you mentioned they've signed Konate. They've got Van Dijk back from injury, of course. Um, is that going to be enough for them, uh, Podrid, do you think? Or, or might they live to regret not making more signings? Well, if we... If we listen to Klopp, as as you well know, getting in arguments with Pep already, then the the money just not not there for them to <laughs> to have invested anymore, even if they'd wanted to. Which I'm not sure how true or not it is, but I mean they are clearly trying to offload uh, quite a few of the squad players that are are kicking around. Yeah, Shakiri's I mean, going to go, isn't it? I think yeah, he's the Shaqiri, main one. Yeah, Origi. Yeah, oh, yeah, I know these kind of players in the fringes, but. I mean, even like you said, without them, uh, it probably is quite a surprise that people aren't haven't tipped them for the league. Especially the the end of last season really well, like quite mm. sneakily impressive towards the end of the season, and obviously they came back from the dead and and managed to to squeeze Leicester out of the into the Champions League places. But they really put a right good run together um, to do that, and you know they looked quite good in pre season. People like you said, Salah. Like these guys look like they've got a bit of a pep back in the step again. So, uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not too worried. Especially having Van Dijk back and Joe Gomez obviously back as well. Like it's it's quite easy, I think, maybe to underestimate just how big a miss like that really was for Liverpool yeah. last season. And then obviously even without him, towards the end of the season, like I said, they they really turned it on. So having him back can only improve them massively. And Konate, like Matt said, is you just think he's going to have very few problems settling in and he'll be a real top player when he gets going. And even if he doesn't, they've got plenty of options provided everyone stays fit. And they've got the 12th man back at Anfield, which I think they really missed last mm. season, wasn't it? I can't see them losing six games at home this season or whatever it was last season. So, yeah, uh, uh, don't don't underestimate Liverpool, that would be my, because I'm scared of them, so everyone else should be. <laughs> uh, the school of thought around Norwich is that they're much better equipped for the Premier League football than they were last time when they got relegated. Are we absolutely sure about that, Matt? No, no. <laughs> every, every season this happens with Norwich. At one point, do they think, you know what, we might as well just try something new because this is getting absolutely nowhere. <laughs> they just constantly do it. They come up with these players that are far too good for the Championship. And they sign, not nobodies, as I said this the other day in a video, and someone pointed out, going, they're not nobodies. And I'm thinking, right, from from Bremen, a few strikers, was it from Bremen? They got Rashitska, didn't they? they? Yeah, who's, a, who's a good player. Yeah, and Sargent as well, yeah. A, a, a player from Greece. And I just think when you look at the other players 
who other promoted sides are signing in recent years um, and where it's taken them to, to what Norwich do. It's just going to be another disaster for them this season. <laughs> They'll go back down. They'll have players who are far too good for the championship, win it again, and then come back up and just rinse and repeat. It's really... <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I have nothing against Norwich. I just don't know why they don't seem to be able to attract or even go in for, for big players. You know, they make a hefty amount of money from being in the Premier League, you know, selling the likes of Buendia. And they just can't. I'm trying to think for, oh, before Buendia, who is the one guy from Norwich who was that good that another team came and snapped him up? Dean Ashton. Dean Ashton. <laughs> yeah. God, <blood> Jesus. <laughs> well, there you go. There you answer my question. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, Podgers have got Billy Gilmore. He's not nobody, is he? Is he, is he going to... He certainly is not. Is he going to really show the Premier League what he can do this season, do you think? Yeah, um, definitely. I really just really hope this is the year that he takes the game to the next level because I think if people um, obviously watch the Euros, then his performance at Wembley in a game where you know, Scotland were expected to be up against it and you just got this kid, which, which yeah, he's like a kid that's mm. just so calm and just plays with his head up all the time and just some of the, the touches, the control, like taking difficult balls from teammates and he'll just, you know, it's not a problem to him whatsoever. And I think if you kind of wanted him to go to, to one team, like he was obviously linked with quite a few, like Newcastle and, and these kind of teams, then I think... Norwich is probably the ideal one for them because, like you'd said, they'll they'll uh, live or die by the sword. They're kind of playing football, and they'll whether it works out or not, um, they'll not change it. Like Clark is obviously going to play that way, and I think he's just perfectly suited to it. So, yeah, I really hope this is the year that he he takes it to the next level, goes back to Chelsea next season, and shows N'Golo Kante and all the rest of them what a proper midfielder is. <laughs> uh, but that, but th- this, that, sorry, that just sums it up for me, though. Which other team is taking another team's midfielder on loan and he's a starting player? What does that say about the Norwich midfielders, <laughs> that if they've got someone else's youngster in the starting eleven? Like, how ill-prepared are they for the season? I don't know. I, just, I think you're being very harsh, man. Yeah, I know. It, 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 it sounds like an Ipswich fan or something, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I just think that sometimes, you know, when when a a player lo- when a team loans a player out, you know, you load them to the little clubs. You say, oh, go on, you can have one of our players. You're not a threat to us. You're not this, you're not that. And that's, that's what's happening with Norwich. It happens with Fulham as well. Yeah. Look, look well, they've got Man City away next week, Norwich, so uh, we'll see how they got on there. So very, yeah. t- very tough start for them, but uh, perhaps we'll, we won't read too much into uh, early season results for them. Um, we probably should read something into early season results for Arsenal, though. Their, their season kicks off on Friday night with Brentford making a dream start to life in the Premier League with a 2-0 win at their new stadium. Um, Matt, a lot of people have tipped Brentford to go straight back down, but did you see a performance here that suggests they might just be a surprise package? Um potentially potentially but I do think there's more problems with Arsenal than than you know about mm. it will tell us more about Arsenal that game than about Brentford I think their that performance really um stuck out to me as kind of like a do your best in your home games kind of thing and pick up whatever you can on the road you yeah. know it seemed like a very much a newly promoted team you, can, you know really when they've got the fans behind them they're playing their own football at home they can put together some good results but yeah, I guess they really, really are a complete unknown entity in the Premier League. Um, and maybe that will shock a few people. 
Indeed, yeah. Ivan Tony uh, didn't score in this game, but he was looking pretty active up front, bringing other players into play. Mm. Sergi Cano scored a very nice goal. Got a nice new stadium there, lovely atmosphere, nice style of play. So I'm, I'm quite looking forward yeah, exactly. to seeing what Brentford can do, actually. I think they could be a bit of a... Uh, take a few people by surprise this year um, Arsenal did have a few players missing most notably Aubameyang and Lacazette uh, Arteta said afterwards we shouldn't overly analyse their performance under the circumstances is that fair do you think Podrick? Uh, I can kind of see where he's coming from in that you know he, he had to play a, a kid up front who'd never played in the Premier League before then ends up having to take him off in the last half an hour which is where you kind of find fault with him where he's gone Nicholas Pepe on his own through the middle mm. which yeah it's just it's not going to work but most of this just it was just so flat I thought all night it was just and there's a lot of some good players in that team that are just carrying a lot of passengers I think like Tierney I thought had quite a good game Smith Rowe had quite a good game apart from that I mean just Pepe just being frustrating again I know he had the one good chance that they created and Raya's made a really good save, but I think I think people are entitled to to analyse this this performance despite not having Obama Yang and, and Lacazette because and it wasn't as a, I I just thought you could see it coming before the game as well, couldn't you? Like a Friday night, the yeah. league opener, Arsenal going away from home to this team have just come up. It's it's just the kind of game that, you know, you just really thought they were going to struggle in and they did. And I know that they were missing the strikers, but um yeah, I'm I'm quite concerned actually about about them this season. I really think they could they could struggle quite a lot and even you see the names that they're being linked with to, to maybe improve the squad. I mean they've already spent crazy money on Ben White and they're talking about even just as crazy money on Aaron Ramsdale um, oh, God, Sheffield yeah. United. Yeah. Which is just I mean if they if they did bring Udegaard back, I think that'd be a that'd be a really good bit of business. But yeah, honestly I'm I'm just quite cons- not just in the back of this performance, but the summer business and most of the performance under Arteta the last maybe six months. Um, uh, yeah, I'm quite worried to be honest. About yeah, it. that that Ramsdale one is the most baffling transfer rumor. Mm. I mean, it's not more than a rumor, isn't it? I think they were. Yeah, they were quite close signing. It looks like it's not going to happen now. Um, I mean, they do need a goalkeeper. I don't think Ramsdale is absolutely terrible, but to spend that amount of money on on someone as a potential backup or yeah. or what, it just seems very very strange to me. Well, they've got Runarsson, I suppose, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Against City last season. Yeah, he had a great game. Maybe earned goal, yeah. chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Ben White one's a little bit of an odd one as well. I mean, I, I think he's a very good player, um, and I think he probably might prove in, in time that he is worth that kind of money but I wonder whether the, with their kind of budgetary restrictions whether he is the right player for them at this moment in time and whether it's the kind of player that Arteta has signed for the future and whether he's going to be there to kind of see him fulfil that future is, yeah. is, 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 is an interesting one yeah. uh, do, do you think I mean he was under pressure a lot last season Matt do you think Arteta's under pressure already they've got Chelsea and Man City in their next two games I mean it's not unthinkable to think they could go first three games of the season without winning be in the relegation zone come the international break are they going to start getting a itchy trigger finger at that point do you think they might do but like you just mentioned there I mean if they're going to back the manager with all sorts of expensive signings um, it wouldn't really make sense to then go ahead and fire him just after the transfer window shuts on the first stage of the season I just think though that game against Brentford was such an Arsenal game to lose Mm -hmm. It was typical. That second goal with the long throw was like watching Arsenal. <laughs> it was like watching Arsenal away at Stoke every yep. year from about 2009 to 2015. 
it just it looked so typically frail, typically weak, and typically Arsenal that I I agree with Podrick. I really would start to worry. Um, and who knows? I mean, <sighs> Arsenal still seem to have this draw and attraction for some players and managers, but I think the further they slip down. They'll end up in a position thinking, if we get rid of Arteta, who else is going to come in? Yeah. Who's going to want to deal with that? I can't think of anyone. Allardyce. <laughs> there you go. He's, no, he's never done yeah. Arsenal, has he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they were linked with uh, Bernardo Silva a couple of weeks ago. Pa- apparently, he he turned them down. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it's an ambitious idea to try and sign him, but I don't I don't see why he would leave City to join Arsenal. To yeah, be honest with you, at this moment in time, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have in, in for a tough season. It seems. Um, Rafa mm. Benitez won his first game in charge of Everton after they came from behind to beat Southampton. Uh, Podro, do you think if it weren't for his Liverpool connections? there'd be a lot more positivity around Benitez's appointment and do you fancy him to be a success at Goodison Park because he's a very good manager isn't he yeah he is and I think I think no predictions I may have put them sixth or fifth I oh, think wow. sixth maybe yeah, yeah. I, I really yeah I think he'll there's a good group of players there and I think like you said he's just a really good coach and pragmatic and he'll, he'll pick up points that that maybe would have got away from them in the last few years, the old cliche would say, but I think he will he'll do really well. And to be fair to the Everton fans, I think when he was announced and stuff before kickoff at the weekend, it did seem like he did get a really good reception. It didn't seem like there was any booze at all and it was quite a quite a good applause that he got. And then obviously they've went from that into coming back as well to win a game mm. which which I think was big for them. That's not something I think there's some crazy stats on it like that was it the last 58 games or something that they'd went behind before they'd actually came back and, and won one. So, I mean, that's, that's as good a start as you can get, although, I mean, Southampton look as if they're in a bit of bother. But mm. yeah, I, yeah, I think Everton, Everton do, do really... We'll do really, really well this season with yeah. Rafa, yeah. Well, their, their home form was shocking last season and uh, I, I quite fancied them to lose this game, actually. When they went 1-0 down, it, it seemed uh, like the, the predictable was happening. My, my prediction for Everton this season is that they'll start quite well and they'll, the fans will warm to Benitez and then it will kind of like tail off in the, in the second end, in the second half of the season and he'll probably leave at the end of the season, but uh, we'll see and how And then that... they could get Big Sam, but he's, he's done that he's one He's done that already, one, exactly. Yeah, he's yeah, been there already. Yeah. So yeah. Running out of clubs for him, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, Matt, what do you make of the signings of Andros Townsend and Damare Gray at Everton? Are they underwhelming or, or potentially shrewd moves? Well, I think the Gray one could be very, very good. It's I a grey area. A talented player. Yeah. <laughs> and we're off. Ziggers all round. Um, I funnily enough think that Everton knew they needed a winger and they signed Andros Townsend because he was on a free transfer and then realised they could get Gray and now they're stuck with both of them. Yeah. I don't understand how someone like Andros Townsend, who was released by Crystal Palace, deemed not good enough, can then be good enough for Everton? Yeah. I'm not I'm not quite sure how it works. I think Everton must have loftier ambitions than Crystal Palace do, surely. Yeah, you think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand. I think Damari Gray could be a brilliant signing, though. Really, really good. He looked very, very lively at the weekend. Um yeah, I think it could be a good one. Plus, how much was it from Leverkusen? Really cheap. Though. Very cheap. It was like six million or something, wasn't it? If if that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a no-brainer, even if it goes horribly. Free transfer so, in this know, market, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I think I think he's going to be worth it. Great, it's a good one. Townsend maybe more more of a squad player. Um, but yeah, it feels like this. We have this conversation every summer with Everton. They make mm. some good signings, thinking positive, and then 
yeah, like you said, towards the end of the season, all goes downhill. Yeah, I mean, they started last season like they were going to win the league, didn't they? And it went very yeah. well, well downhill. So maybe it's, uh, you know, not too bad that they're, they're mm. starting this one with perhaps low expectations. Uh, Podrick, you mentioned that Southampton are in a bit of bother. Uh, are, are they relegation candidates for you this season, especially after losing Danny Ings and Yannick Vestergaard? Yeah, once once Vestergaard went um, on the back of Danny Ings, who, I mean, even the replacement for Ings, it's a bit of a risk, you know. Um, Adam Armstrong has obviously banged goals in in the, the lower leagues and if it doesn't alter, for every Jamie Vardy, then there's somebody else who <laughs> he'll maybe not be able to replicate it. So, yeah, for me, I think they'll be candidates, but I think they'll probably, by the time the end of the season comes, they'll be three worse teams, I think, than Southampton. But I would worry about them in front of goal, especially without Ings and um, Che Adams is he's a great worker for the team and stuff, but he's not, I don't think he's going to get regular goals. And it took him obviously so long to get up and running as well. They really can't afford for him to take so long to get going this season. Mm. So, yeah, I think they'll be down, down near the bottom, but maybe not. Not in the bottom three, I don't think. I have to say my uh, prediction originally for the relegation was the three teams that came up to go straight back down, so Norwich, Brentford and Watford. As soon as uh, Southampton sold Vestergaard, I swapped Norwich out and put Southampton in the bottom three. I I quite fancied them to go down, but uh, Mm. you never know. Good luck to them. They've got a very good coach in Hasenhutl, haven't they? Um, You you mentioned Adam Armstrong there. He he took his goal very well in this game. Is he someone that you could see consistently scoring goals in the Premier League, Matt? Does he look like he's got the right uh, minerals for it? Uh, It was a great finish, wasn't it? Yeah. Really, really good. Um, I honestly... Couldn't tell you because there are, <laughs> there are some guys who come up and do you know really really well, um, and some who really sort of fall to at this level. I remember it took Patrick Bamford quite a few years of going between the Premier League and the Championship mm. to really sort of find his feet. Um, and you'd think that look, he scored twenty eight goals last season in quite a poor Blackburn side. Mm. If he scored that many and then could make the step up, then you're saying that Ivan Tony will do the same. Um, and you'd think that someone like Timo Puki would do the same, um, Timo Puki for, for Norwich. So it's really difficult to tell. He looks like a good finisher, but you'd have to you'd have to ask questions about whether or not Southampton can get him the ball enough. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's obviously a, a horrible mistake from the Everton defence to let him in, to let Adams in. Is he really going to turn half chances into goals as well as Ings did? I don't know. You know, it's not like he's on in a team that's going to create hatfuls of chances for him. He's going to have to really work to to scrape together any sort of good figure, maybe ten to fifteen goals like Ings did. So, it's a very tough ask, I think. Mm. Yeah, well, good luck to him. Uh, good luck to newly promoted Watford, who marked their return to the Premier League with an impressive 3-2 win over Aston Villa. I think every season preview I've read or listened to or watched has, has tipped Watford to go straight back down. Um, do you think they could possibly prove the doubters wrong, Podrick? I mean, I'm one of them, Dan, as well. <laughs> yeah. That's thinking they'll go down. Um, I just don't think, compared to all of the other clubs that you look at that are going to be down there, when you look at the squad as a whole, I don't see them having the quality that you kind of need to to stay up. And I, I agree with you as well. I think Norwich out of the... And probably Brentford as well. I think they, the, the two of them could, could actually do quite well. But, yeah, I just think Watford, the, the overall quality is not there. They've kept obviously some of their players um, even from the Premier League the last time but yeah just don't see it being enough unfortunately I just think they'll be 
to, yeah, there's just too many too many teams down there that, that will pick up a lot more points than they will. I just don't see where they come from. But then, obviously, I didn't see that result coming at the weekend. You thought Villa would, uh, after the Grealish money, and they've mm. got all the new signings in, and you think they'll be out to start on a high. So, yeah, they've left me left me looking foolish already. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone's got doubts about about Watford's manager Isco, haven't they? As well, I think with uh, you know he's a bit of an unknown quantity, really, and that's uh, perhaps why people aren't too too sure about him. But he did a good job getting them up last season, so who knows? Maybe he's uh, he's going to show himself mm. to be a really good manager this season. We'll, we'll see. Uh, they've also got Ismail Assar, who who was brilliant in the Championship last season. He's been linked with Liverpool in the past. Um, do you expect him to really make a name for himself in the Premier League this season? Matt he had, a, he had a great game. Well, he, Matt Target got subbed at half time. He was having that that good a game here. So, yeah, I think he's brilliant, and I really like that he stuck with them after getting relegated. Because you know, it could be easy to have his head turned and think, "Oh, I, I must stay in the Premier League now." You know, I've been here, I got to stay. But really, getting the game time and the confidence in the championship has probably helped him. I think of the same thing happened with Grealish when he came through at Aston Villa, mm. and they got relegated. You know, it could have been easy for him to move on, but he stayed and he played more regularly in championship and looks far better for it. The same thing with Emi Buendia um, last season. You know, looks so, so good. And now, obviously, they're promoted, but he earned that move back. And I really, really think it's going to be a good a good season for his minor star. Um, but yeah, as, as overall for Watford, I just... I don't want to say doing a Norwich, but I'm getting those kind of vibes. <laughs> Unknown manager... Very few sort of standout Premier League quality players. I'm I'm not convinced about them staying in the league. To be honest, mm, I'm not convinced the team captained by Tom Cleverley, with all due respect, is good enough to stay in the Premier League. But <laughs> exactly, we'll see about that. <laughs> Podrick, you mentioned Aston Villa have made some good signings to replace Grealish. They didn't click uh, very well in this game. Do you think they will gel in time? Yeah, I think they. Over the course of the season, I think it might yeah it might take them a bit of time because obviously you're replacing one guy with these three across the front and it was it was obviously really interesting when, when Villa released the, the video explaining their thought process and why it was these guys they'd signed with the Grealish money and how they were trying to replace his best qualities with the qualities from different players because obviously they knew that they couldn't um, they couldn't buy another Jack Grealish obviously uh, but yeah I think it could take I'm not so sure about Bailey um, Buendia I think is a decent player and has been in the Premier League before and impressed with Norwich in the Premier League mm. um, I think he could do quite well in Ings we know is a, it's just a proven commodity in front of goal and that was that was an incredible sign and that really you don't see that anymore <laughs> no it was great like wasn't a it signing yeah. that really came out of nowhere um, there was no there wasn't even any suggestion that Villa were in talks with them and then yeah. They announced it, so that was also that was quite refreshing. So they've they've done a lot right as well, actually, off off the field this summer with with doing keeping that under wraps, and then um, yeah, the video about the the process of explaining how they've went about uh, replacing Grealish, but definitely going to be easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for a start, you can you can only play eleven players. So if you replace one player with three players, you can't put them all on at the same time, really, can you? That's the problem. But I'm I'm quite excited about Leon Bailey. Actually, I think it. Well, I think his cross for John McGinn's goal in this game was really good, and I'm I'm excited to see what he can do. Indeed, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, Ings guaranteed Premier League goal scorer, isn't he? Pretty much if if he stays fit, and uh, and yeah, Buendia, I think will will uh, will really show people what he can do this season. Uh, Leicester started their season with Jamie Vardy scoring the only goal in a one nil win over Wolves Uh, after mixed. 
sit with the big boys and then dropping off at the end of last season, the last two years. What are you expecting from Leicester this season, Matt? Honestly, more of the same. (laughs) (laughs) I'm expecting them to be fighting for fourth or fifth, sixth spot. Um, They've added some really, really good players into their team. Um, Even the signing of Vestergaard is... Everything they do, Leicester, Mm. seems to make sense in the transfer market. They seem really, really good. I think they've held their squad together really well, um, especially the likes of James Madison. Um, and so she was linked with moves away as well and Tielemans too. Harvey Barnes signed a new contract now, it sounds like. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I just, I don't see any reason to expect them to drop off and I don't think Rodgers is really the kind of manager that would allow such a big drop off uh, either. Um, and yeah, like you said, Vardy, you know, doing what he does and new season, same Vardy. So I don't see why they would drop off. I can't think of any, um, any sort of glaring difficulties they've had over the summer or holes in their team, to be honest. Yeah. I think Dak is good too. Yeah, yeah. You just think with Leicester, there's probably going to be four better teams than them this season, isn't it? As yeah, that's they the are, thing. Which is a bit of a shame for them, really. Same they are, Tottenham. The way they've built that club up is so impressive. I really mm. enjoy watching Leicester, and I think they've got some cracking players. Um, well, you mentioned Dakar, and, and they've got Sumare as well. How excited about those two in particular do you think the, the Leicester fans should be, Podrick? Yeah, really excited. Um, like Matt said, they just they seem to get it right. And a lot more in the transfer market than they get it wrong. And those two, you, you just think they're just that kind of astute level of signing that, you know, they seemed like they beat out competition from maybe a few bigger clubs, uh, especially for Dhaka. You know, there seemed to be quite a lot of interest around him, and he looks like a just a, such a exciting player, such a great goal scorer. Um, yes, yeah, so there's other Premier League clubs, teams in the Bundesliga, so. I think they've done really well to to get him and you can already, even though he scored at the weekend, but I mean, it's probably, I think, and I'm sure Rodgers will be thinking that as well, that it's really time to look at the long-term replacement up front for Jamie Vardy. Although, I guess now that fans are back in the stadiums, I I think I saw a few people suggesting that at the weekend he might get back to his best (laughs) because I think he's probably best when he's shithousing it among uh, (laughs) fans, away fans in particular, so... Maybe not write him off yet, but definitely Daka and Sumari as well are going to be going to be really exciting and quality additions, I think, to the Premier League. Yeah, Daka's what twenty two, is he? I think that's amazing signing that. I think for them and uh, Kalechi yeah. Nacho as well is still you know doing doing the business for him. So yeah, they've got they've got everything in place for another successful season. We'll just see how successful it is, I suppose. Uh, what are you expecting from Wolves, Matt, after the appointment of Bruno Large? You think he's a step forwards or a step backwards from Nuno? I think a step backwards. I mean, it's very difficult to say. I just felt like Wolves built up when they came into the Premier League. They were really at a crossroads and they'd just gone over the peak and now they're heading down the other side. And I really, I struggled to see what he could bring um, that maybe someone else with a bit more Premier League experience could have bring. Like, is he going to really take them to the next level? Not so sure. He's not overly experienced in management. You know, I had a good season with Benfica and then a poor season was sacked about a year ago. Um, I'm not sure whether it, it may be a bit too easy to read on the outside. Like, what's the deal with the Portuguese thing? Like, mm. right, you've got a bit of a, you know, uh, a bit of um, a relationship with George Mendes and they bring in a few Portuguese players and that's all very nice and well. But surely it can't sort of run over the club. And the next thing, you know, the dinner lady is going to be out. It's going to be, <laughs> I know, a Portuguese, Portuguese chef is great. You know, at what point do you think, right, hold on, let's actually sign someone suited to the job 
instead of just listening to every Portuguese person that comes in. <laughs> hey, I'd love to play for a club if there was Portuguese food on the menu every lunchtime. Yeah. <laughs> nice little pastel donato or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't quite get it. I, was he, hand on your heart, was he the best option for that job? Probably not, no. I mean, I don't know an awful lot about him, to be quite honest with you. Again, he's a, he's yeah. another bit of an unknown quantity. It could go either way, that one. Um, mm. He doesn't strike me as a particularly... Um, a huge step forward from Nuno, if a step forward exactly. at all. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. You, you, you don't know. They've, they're another one who've got good players. They've built the club up well. They've, um, mm. you know, they've got they've got Raúl Jiménez back from injury, which is great to see at the weekend. He could really um, kick on and, and get some goals for them this season True. and make them more of a force to be reckoned with. Um, but we, I don't really know what to expect from Wolves. I, I would pitch them at about thirteenth this season, probably. And yeah. anything higher than that is a bonus, but. We'll see, we'll see. Uh, after impressing last season, West Ham made a great start to the new campaign with a 4-2 win away at Newcastle. I predicted a nil-nil draw for this game, so I wasn't far off, was I? Only, only six goals out in the end. Um, can you see West Ham having another good season this year, Podrig, and how do you expect them to cope with the demands of European football? Yeah, I think that'll be that'll be the big determiner for it, and I think they also really need um, bodies in the door. I'm surprised how little... Mm. they've actually done so far it's just, just Ariola, really isn't it I think yeah. they signed Craig Dawson permanently and that was it so far so. yeah like I thought they'd uh, I really thought they'd have had a lot more in the door by now especially with the extra demands of European football uh, on top of it I think they maybe caught a lot of people in the hop last season as well with just how well they did which was obviously amazing but I'm not sure they'll it'll be quite so uh, so comfortable this time around mm. for them but I think yeah if they get bodies in, then and quality obviously on top of it. I mean, they just keep getting linked to so many strikers, so many midfielders, and nothing, nothing's coming to fruition for them. So if they don't, you could see it being maybe kind of a slide back down towards mid table because mm. yeah, obviously Thursday Sunday for at least six weeks not really ideal for a team that are probably already going to be stretched a little. But mm. yeah, I think I think they'll definitely probably be in the shake up. For sure, for um, for the European place of the game. Yeah, they've kept Declan Rice, which I suppose is quite a big thing because that that didn't look uh, you know certain coming towards the end of last season. Maybe they can get Jesse Lingard back, which was he not retired on Sunday by uh, Saint Maximan? That was was rough to watch. It was, it was. (laughs) Uh, Newcastle have got Joe Willock back permanently after his successful loan last season. Is that enough for them, Matt, or do you think relegation should be a worry for them this season? It should be because I just worry about Newcastle defensively. Mm. Like you see, St. Maximan's got ability. You know, Callum Wilson can find the back of the net. Willock's a brilliant player. I just think that that could so easily be undone. You know what I mean? You look at the weekend and think, all right, how about we don't concede four goals (laughs) at home, right? And you've got a nice little 2 0 win on the cards. But I just think that that really is going to be their downfall. And with someone like Willock, if he puts in a season, the full season like he did the back end of last season when he was on loan, there's no reason to think why this won't just be a step, a stepping stone onto a bigger club. Um, I just can't see, I can't see where Newcastle are going to drive forward, put a team together that's going to even compete top half, to be honest. Mm. I really do worry about their their defence. And is Steve Bruce even the guy that's going to suddenly get the, 
the best out of a free-flowing attacking side? I, I don't think so either. <laughs> I mean, they play quite a, quite attacking stuff at times in this game, and you wonder whether that was the mm. sort of the influence of the fans in the crowd for the, for the first time in a while that yeah, maybe, maybe they thought they had to put in a bit of a show for them. But how safe do you think Steve Bruce should consider his job, Podrick? Because it's a bit of a weird one where, where a lot of people tip him as the, the first one for the sack race this season, but it sort of seems unlikely to me that uh, that Mike Ashley would, would, would pull the trigger unless things got really, really bad. Yeah, I think he's lucky that he has probably an owner in Ashley who not only seems to like back him, but if it's something that the Newcastle fans want, then he just seems to actively go against that as <laughs> yeah. well. Um, I think having them back in the ground, like if things aren't going well, like they will not be shy about letting Bruce know, letting Ashley know. So he he maybe was quite fortunate, I guess, in a way that even like last season, I know they weren't massively struggling. You were, I don't think you were ever worried in a major way that they were going to get relegated, but even not having fans in the stadium, because I know that the football up there, it's not popular either with, with the Newcastle fans. So having them back and able to, to get on his back and make make their opinions known could put pressure on a Mike Ashley to act. But I, I mean, I think they also just think they've missed a trick as well. I think even Benitez suggested in the summer he'd have been quite open to going mm. back there if they would have had him back and I think he was obviously probably been preferable to, to him and um, and Everton fans and Newcastle fans it probably would have worked out well for everyone if he'd got that job but um, yeah Steve Bruce still clinging on by his fingers yeah so. I feel like it's going to take a takeover for major changes at Newcastle and, and, mm. and who knows whether that is going to happen anytime soon so I just think yeah. it's going to be more of the same from them next season um, uh, last but not least Brighton came from behind to pick up all three points away at Burnley on Saturday uh, Matt any idea why James Tarkovsky's early goal was allowed to stand here and, and what have you made of the Premier League's free and easy approach to VAR this season I, I've no idea why it was allowed to stand but part of me kind of enjoys that it was <laughs> like I I just feel like the guy's just gone over and I I feel like with fouls you should make every attempt to use all your physicality and whatever to to stay with your defender or do some defending until you get a free kick you know what I mean fouls can't be bought or won they're a result of someone you know impeding you and I just think for him to fall over and go you know what I can't be bothered defending so I'm just going to fall back and try and find the foul <laughs> Is really, I'm glad it wasn't given. Having said that, if that was against Spurs, I'd probably be annoyed. Um, so, in light of that, all I want is consistency. If they're going to be free and easy, great. Just make it consistent. Yeah, I suppose there is an argument that, like, why should you be able able to just stand there and obstruct someone's run, and why can't they just mm. push you out of the way if if they want to? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, with VAR, it does seem an improvement. It's it's been a, a very uh, incident free weekend uh, for the first weekend. Yeah. Um, I thought like the Brentford second goal, though. I thought VAR probably mm. could have intervened with that I one. I thought Ar- Arsenal could have had a penalty in the first half as well. That Balogun uh, foul. Ah, that's, uh, yeah, that's very, true. Yeah, very yeah. strange one. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's a fine line between letting the game flow and just not giving blatant fouls for the sake of it, is there? It's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we've not really seen any offside calls. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see how these, these thicker mm. lines are going to work. But I hope we don't have to talk about it very much. That would be ideal oh, for me. Yeah. yeah, just let maybe put a bit more power in the referee's hands and have none of this, uh, you know, uh, toenail being offside rubbish that we... we, we got bogged down in last season um, we spoke a lot about Brighton's underperforming their XG last season uh, they weren't in the races for a lot of this game but they won by scoring two goals from an XG of just 1.6 um, does that suggest they've turned a corner then Podrick? 
I would say no because <laughs> uh, I think we need like a, a lot more games and a lot more of a sample size than the the first one to think that if they've overperformed at once then then they're going to keep doing it the rest of the season so I think I'll have to give them a lot longer and I'd also be quite worried about Brighton if their plan to replace Ben White is just by putting Shane Duffy back in the team and I know he had an amazing game at the weekend but I still have nightmares I'm afraid about his performances last season so if that is the plan to go with to go with him uh, on a regular basis to, to be the man to fill in for White then I'd be quite concerned about uh, Graham Potter's plans <laughs> yeah another one to keep an eye on uh, well that's all we've got time for on the first episode of the Premier League Weekend Review podcast of the new season I've been Dan Burke thanks to Matt Frolick and Podrick Whelan for joining me and thanks to everyone for tuning in we'll be back next week and if you want to send a question for us to discuss on a future episode remember you can email us on podcast at onefootball.com or tweet us at onefootball bye for now bye for now